What's going on in the world today? Every single moment you wake up, you like look at your phone and you're like, how is this happening? Is it a movie? Are we inside of a script? What kind of a fourth turning are we living through right now? I read about this world in George Orwell, 1984. I didn't realize I'd be a character. I didn't know I'd be Winston from that story. You don't realize how crazy the world's gotten until you sort of look back at the news of the 90s. You look back in time and you realize that you really are living in unprecedented times. The president's home is getting raided. His safe is being broken into. Everyone's saying that that's fine. No, it's not fine. It's insane. What they're doing is insane to regular Americans. There's no such thing as an illegal political view in this country, but you'd think whether it be on free speech platforms, whether it be on social media, whether it would be in the jails of Washington, D.C., that there was a second-class tier of citizens. It's never happened, really, in modern-day America, and it shouldn't happen, of course. All men are created equal. But in this current time of chaos, the most valuable thing that you can possibly have is wisdom. Wisdom. It's not, it's not energy. Our show has a lot of energy. It's not a lot of followers. It's not having the spiciest tweets or the hottest takes, man. It's wisdom, being able to see what has happened before and what will happen again, and then to maybe break the wheel if those things are bad and deserve to be broken. That is why we are so honored on The Benny Show tonight to be bringing you an exclusive live conversation with a man who has wisdom. It's very rare, probably the rarest thing in media today. Steve Bannon is a man of wisdom. He has seen, he has seen it all. And he joins us now, and we are thankful for him for being on the program. Steve, thank you so much for being on The Benny Show tonight. Thanks for having me, Benny. Now, we ask about wisdom. We'd like to ask you a, a little bit to start off our conversation about your life experiences. But before we get there, any message to Brian Stelter? Will he be an intern on The War Room anytime soon? Uh, well, on our six o'clock show tonight, we, we, we started with Stelter. The five o'clock, we did the President Trump situation. We started with Stelter, and I went back to the Alex Jones rant of 2018, which is classic, like three minutes. Uh, Stelter to me has always been kind of a non-event, right? He's the type of guy, I, I don't think you'll see him get a job anywhere else. He's the kind of uh, that regime media props up, they give platforms to. Uh, he's been the whole monitor, you know, kind of irrelevant, but just a nuisance. And I think that you're seeing John Malone, who's really the owner of the Time Warner complex, John Malone, and John Malone's a hammer. He's going to clean that mess up or they would have spun it off. And I think you're going to see, was it Chris Licht? start to make uh, some significant changes to put it back to it. It'll always be on the left, but it won't be as crazy progressive cultural Marxist left as it has been. And, and, and that's because of John Malone. He's going to be cleaning that mess up. And today they took out another, uh, another part of the trash. Do you think that Liz Cheney will get that time slot on CNN? Well, they clearly look, they, you, you've seen the, you know how the games play. They, they, the media is going to prop up the controlled opposition. I mean, this is why they, they're all over Pence, they're all over Liz Cheney, all over Chris Christie, you know, every move these guys make, because it's controlled opposition. We've we've won more elections than we lost at every level since the 60s, since Nixon came back in 68, and we lost the country. 
And how's that happen? It happens because you have these bromides. You know, it's like this. Uh, you hear these talks like Joe Scarborough said the other day. I'm for lower. And I'm a Republican conservative Reagan. I'm for lower taxes. I'm for deregulation. I'm for, uh, you know, NATO and strong foreign policy. But that's all kind of a capitalism. They, they, those are all terms that are almost meaningless today. You have an administrative state that's a fourth branch of government that they've made impervious to elections that essentially has taken over every other branch of government and kind of merge this authoritarian government with state capitalism, with big tech, big media. It's the Chinese model. They've copied. We didn't change China. The Chinese taught our elites how to have total, absolute control over modern technological society. And that's what you're seeing implemented. And that's what this this fight's about. It's a war. It is. It is a war. And we're going it, to it's not there's no one person. Uh, there's no a magic wand. There's nothing here. We're going to click our heels and say we want to go back in time. We, we have to fight this. This is a fourth turning. And it's totally not determined how this is going to play out. Right. This is going to take 10 or 20 years. And on the other side of this, we're going to be either the constitutional republic that was bequeathed to us or we're going to be something radically different, as you've seen what the Biden regime and, and the rest of them have have done for the last couple of years. So. The fight's on and, you know, not, uh, it's going to be just like the revolution. Maybe a third of the people will be patriots and with you. Third will be Tories and against you. A third of humankind is going to be in the middle and say, hey, whatever way it plays, I'm backing those guys. So it may seem like we've got um, long odds, but I like not only do I like our odds, I really love the people we have on our side of the football, particularly guys and men and women in your generation and younger. I, I think we've got, the, I think we've got the winning formula. I think we have the right players. We just have to be relentless and not give up. You call it a war. And as somebody who studies history, what other time in Western civilization would you compare this to? Well, listen, the country's gone through this a couple of times. I mean, the revolution, the civil war, the great depression, world war two, you had these, you had these times in history where you just get to a point you can't argue things. You can't debate things anymore. One side's going to win and one side's going to lose. And normally and hopefully this takes place in the political process. That's what we wanted to. And that's everything because we are two thirds of the nation. You know, we've got the votes. They keep talking democracy, democracy, democracy. You've seen here in the last couple of weeks, the rising MAGA ascendant right at, at the polls. Wyoming the other day, the greatest turnout in a Republican primary in the 132 year history of the state, I think it was. So we have the votes. This inclusive nationalism is, is we have, you know, Hispanics in the Rio Grande Valley. We're having African-American males. And then you've got this participatory populism where people are getting involved for the parental rights movement at the school board level. So both every level right in the breadth of it shows that we can take we can capture the imagination, the vision and the support of two thirds. I think the 75 percent of the nation. We just have to make sure that we get out there, we deliver, we protect these votes, make sure that we close on the victories we have, not like 2020, but we close on the victories. And then we have to execute. And that's the big thing. We can't, you've been around this town a long time. You see all the games that are played. You see all the compromises. We can't do that. If we get empowered this time in November, people are going to want this to be non-compromising. And we have to be that. We have to be uh, relentless. We have to be focused. And quite frankly, we have to be ruthless. They're very tough decisions that have to be made and we have to make them. And, uh, and the American people will have our backs. But I got to tell you, if we win this time, and it's like in 16, particularly with the Paul Ryans of the world, the Mitch McConnells, everybody wants to make deals. Everybody wants to have their compromises. Everybody wants to get their sinecures. 
we can't do that anymore. Where the country financially is not there, our manufacturing base is gone. Uh, you know, if our military can't, you know, can't be on every foreign battlefield. We, we are now witnessing the managed decline by our elites of this nation and the bottom's just about to fall out. The American people empower us this time in this midterm and then in 2024, they're going to want to see dramatic action. And I think that we've got a rising uh, generation of the you and Charlie Kirk and Jack Posobiec and all these other men and women of this under 40 generation that are just going to be primed and really be the, the leaders of this movement. You are currently living through the dumpster fire of the Joe Biden presidency, and that can be a tough pill to swallow. So why add more tough pills to swallow to your nutritional supplements? Did you know that nutritional supplements in pill form is actually one of the worst ways to absorb nutrients. That's why doctors and nutritionists created Healthy Cell, a great tasting ingestible gel with 165% more absorption than pills. It's hard to make a vitamin liquid that tastes good naturally, but Healthy Cell did it. And I use Healthy Cell every single morning along with my wife, who, let me tell you, is a nutrition stickler. Nurse Kate, man, if this passes her test, it is gold. And speaking of gold, you don't want to waste your gold, your money on pills that don't work. So use Healthy Cell, something that tastes great and gets the job done. Visit HealthyCell.com backslash Benny. That's Healthy Cell, C-E-L-L, and use the code Benny for 20% off your first order. HealthyCell.com backslash Benny. Be healthier than Joe Biden. It's an honor to be included in that group. You mentioned the military. Uh, you served in the military. You served in the armed forces. I don't think many people know that you went to Harvard. I don't think many people know that you graduated, worked at Goldman Sachs. You worked on Wall Street and in Hollywood. Very successful. That you own a big chunk of Seinfeld and that you co-founded Breitbart, one of the most successful sites in the world. Hang, hang on. I just want to make sure I owned a very small slither of Seinfeld. It was very profitable. It's a very small slither. And Andrew, Andrew is the founder and, and, and obviously the patron saint of, of, uh, of Breitbart and just one of the greatest individuals of the 21st century. I, I was, you know, I was there and fortunate enough after Andrew passed away to be able to step in and, and help, you know, take it to the next level for he had just come off the block site and he never got to saw his creation, which is the Breitbart site today. So I just want to make sure Seinfeld was enormously profitable for me, but it was a very tiny part of the overall Seinfeld. I would love to ask more follow-up questions on that, but I don't think people quite understand that if Dos Equis were to make a most interesting man in the world and re revisit that ad, you would probably be cast. Of course, Donald Trump, everyone knows that part of the story. Everyone knows January 6th, but that's a lot of people just catching up. Uh, you did the thing that you're not supposed to do. The way that I look at it, when I'm looking through and reading the Steve Bannon story, what it looks like to me is that you were a man who worked inside of the machine. You were a man who worked inside of the beast and then you broke out and then you took what you learned and you began to fight from inside, from within and without. So whether you were inside the White House, or whether you're inside Goldman Sachs, when you were fighting, you were doing the thing you were never supposed to do. You're never supposed to leave the regime, the Praetorian Guard, and you were welcomed into it. You succeeded and then you left and you worked to destroy that machine. And that seems to be your cardinal sin. Maybe you can expound on that or you can tell me I'm wrong. No, it's it, look, I come from a, a blue collar Irish Catholic Democratic family, right? Which every one of the 
the families in, in my clan were like that. It's, you know, they're all Democrats, Union Democrats. And, um, but, you know, a lot of patriotism. I, I went into the military and then was fortunate enough to be able to go to Harvard. I went to Georgetown uh, Graduate School of National Security Studies over at the School of Foreign Service at the time, and then was able to go to Harvard Business School and then to Goldman Sachs. So, yeah, I was a cog in the wheel. And I had fabulous education at the finest institutions in the world. And those institutions were really, you know, uh, Harvard was the West Point, not just a capitalism, it was the West Point of globalism. It was really the, the, the Michael Porter was one of my professors. It was the, he's this famous professor, wrote these amazing books, Competitive Strategy and Comparative Strategy back in the 80s. The 80s was really a transition to America's kind of post-industrial, you know, the post-industrial revolution that was going to be globalization. And I was fortunate enough to be there at Harvard and then go to Goldman Sachs. But I realized even, and I stepped out my own firm, that I could see particularly my expanded family and people I knew, and you could go and see the country the manufacturing base was leaving. And there was just a greater and greater concentration of wealth. And really my moment of clarity became on the financial crisis in 2008 when Lehman Brothers went into bankruptcy. When Lehman Brothers went into bankruptcy, there was just a there was $880 billion on the balance sheet of the, of the Federal Reserve. Obama and these guys in Bush came up with a plan to basically blow up the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, put trillions of dollars on it, and allow the wealthy really to the real estate assets and stocks to kind of continue to rise while the working class, particularly, and the lower middle class got eviscerated. My dad had worked, he just passed away this spring at over 100 years old. He had put 50 years into the phone company as a basic started as a lineman and as a, as a, as a, as a blue collar foreman. Uh, and his father had worked 50 years. And so the phone company stock, AT&T stock, was everything. I mean, it was almost as, almost as sacred as the Catholic Church, of which we were members of. I remember that for, after Lehman Brothers collapsed, Jim Cramer came on TV one day and said, hey, if you have any stocks, if you need cash in the next five years, you got to dump all your stocks. My dad sold a big portion of what he had scraped around with, a you know, not not a great salary. Uh, and you, I said, why are we doing this? What, what is the going on? And then I saw what Obama, and who was the most, supposed to be the most progressive president in history, basically had a financial and monetary scheme that had the greatest concentration of wealth. That's where the 1% was really created. That's where this great shift of 50 to 60% of total assets went to the wealthy. And I said, in my, the firm I had worked at and had loved, Goldman Sachs was on the verge of bankruptcy. The thing that saved it from bankruptcy is they they, Hank Paul, they signed a one-line letter that let Goldman Sachs turn from an investment bank to a bank holding company, a federal bank holding company, with one line of a letter signed by the Secretary of Treasury, who ha happened to be a former senior partner at Goldman Sachs, Hank Paulson, who I worked for. That allowed Goldman Sachs to borrow free from the federal government and charge their, company, their clients a couple of hundred basis points basically have five or six, seven, eight billion dollars of free cash flow. I said, this system's so fucked up and so rigged. It's ridiculous. And why is nobody sitting there talking about this? Today, your generation, if you're under 45 years old, you're nothing more than a Russian surf. And what I mean by that is that you, you're a better educated, you have more access to information than anywhere in mankind's history. You're in better shape. You, you, your body's much more purified. Uh, you have better cultural aspects. You're interconnected like no time in mankind's history. But you're essentially a Russian surf. You don't own anything, and you're not really going to own anything because you can't get any any uh, form any capital formation. And, and the assets are so blown past what you're really cheap. 
you're 20% or 30% already behind where your parents were at the same time in life. You see every part of this with the late family formations. And one of the reasons is guys just don't have the job. They had this article the other day in one of these magazines saying how uh, it's so tough for single men are, it was in the daily mail, single men are so lonely. One of the reasons they can't, they can't date. They don't know how to communicate. It's all a communications problem. The buried lead at the end of the story was one of the reasons they can't communicate. They're so worried about their financial and economic condition and women just don't find them attractive for the simple reason is, hey, you don't really have a gig that's gonna show me that you can actually have a family and children and support me in years ahead or be an active economic partner. That's all because this is not the second law of thermodynamics. There's nothing in the physical world that says this has to happen. This is all policy decisions by the uniparty and the apparatus to, to save themselves. Now, after COVID, where we are today, it's actually gotten worse. The Federal Reserve now has $9.5 trillion. Forget, forget the $30 trillion of debt. That's bad enough. But the $9.5 trillion is how the, how the Federal Reserve pays the administrative state. This is how they fund it. The $9.5 trillion, 0.5% of American citizens, 0.5%, control and own more assets than the bottom 90%. Something that won't surprise you at all is that I am addicted to my cell phone. Why? Well, because I run a digital news company and at The Benny Show, we have 10 employees and they need to be online and their service needs to work and we need to make a profit to keep in business. So I have got to be balancing my budget as well. So how do you stay online and balance a budget, especially in these tight economic times? Use Pure Talk. We use Pure Talk at The Benny Show. It is the official sponsor of The Benny Show, and their service is incredible. It is the most reliable 5G network in America, and for just 30 bucks, you can get talk, text, and data on America's best network. And with the code Benny, you get 50% off your first month. Most families save around 75 bucks by switching over to Pure Talk. That's like a tank of gas. And who couldn't use an extra tank of gas in Joe Biden's America? So go over to puretalkusa.com and use the code Benny to get 50% off your new cell service today. And if you need one more reason to do it, you provide American jobs by doing this. Pure Talk is run by a United States military veteran, is their CEO man. They want America to win and you will win if you switch to Pure Talk today. Use the code Benny to get 50% off. If the founders of our nation had come back, remember, these were lawyers, speculators, and essentially bootleggers, right? Smugglers, who that collection, <laughs> entrepreneurs, who okay. said, we don't want to be part of an empire that is controlled by a landed aristocracy hereditary landed aristocracy, because we've seen these hereditary guys and they're not that impressive. We want a new deal here in the New Jerusalem. If they came back here today and see the oligarchs that we have done by policy, almost as much by the Republican Party as the Democratic Party, they would spit on the floor. They go, we fought a revolution to free ourselves for free against super odds against the greatest empire at that time that had ever existed. And you guys, with all your technology and all your wealth and everything these 13 or 14 generations had done, you allowed on your watch to have a concentration of wealth that is mind boggles, anything else has ever accomplished in the world. There's never been a concentration of wealth like this in the Persian Empire, in the Roman Empire, in the British Empire, anywhere. The greatest concentration of wealth we've ever had in any real civilization, any advanced civilization, is in the United States of America today 
done by the full cooperation of all these, the Chris Christie's, all this, all this pablum you hear. Oh, I want lower. I'm, I'm for lower. You know, Joe Scarborough said, that, why can't we go back to Reagan's party? I want lower taxes and I want a smaller government and I want, a, you know, peace through strength. It's all crap. Tell me how you're going to get to, you can't cut taxes anymore. We have this year, we're going to have another $2 trillion unfunded discretionary spending bill. That's just because we're the prime reserve currency. We're just going to, we're just going to go, you know, we're going to have all this hoo-ha, you know, back about the appropriations bill and the debt ceiling and everybody's going to cave and we're going to add another $2 trillion this year. The CBO lays it out. We're going to be at $40 trillion like that. That's just because we can have the ability to print the money. But that money is a check that somebody has to cash. Every two generations from now, they are going to curse us unless we get a grip on this. You're not gonna have any tax cuts. You can't pay for what we got right now. When they talk about, oh, I'm gonna take one regulation off for every two or two regulations off for every one regulation, forget that. The administrative state is all encompassing. It's a Leviathan that we have allowed to be built. And this is why you're seeing right now, you're seeing the police arm of the administrative state is, uh, is in full force with the FBI and the Justice Department. The health, the public health part of the, of the administrative state is the CDC scathing report. You know, it's a scathing report they did. It's all nonsense. They basically say we need more power, more money, more concentration. The states have to do it. That's the administrative state. We are against an internal leviathan. At the same time, we're against the Chinese Communist Party and this merger they've had with the World Economic Forum. And that is the two challenges of our existence. And every day is going to be Stalingrad. They're not, if you think, because we're going to win one election, like in 16, they're going to sit there and go, wow, what a great idea. Donald Trump won. He's got Steve Bannon and Mike Flynn, all these interesting characters around him have these different ways that things ought to be done and ought to redistribute a lot of this. Are you kidding me? You saw what they did to Trump. They're going to destroy you. If you think we're going to win in November and all of a sudden they're going to sit there and go, this is amazing. You know, let's hear what Charlie Kirk has to say. And let's hear what Benny Johnson has to say. And let's hear what all these interesting young people have to say. Fuck you. They don't give a shit. And they're not going to give it up unless you take it. We have to take it back. And that is going to be at the polls. We have two thirds of the country. Uh, the two thirds of the country support us. Now we have to win. We have to close on that win like we didn't do in 20. And then we have to execute and execute is not going to be easy. They're going to leak on you every day. They're going to put false stories out every day. They're going to use all the law for they can. This is going to be, this is the great twilight struggle of the, 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 the managerial class that controls this country. You just outlined a very dangerous road ahead. Call it Leviathan. Leviathan definitionally is something that is nearly impossible to defeat. It tramples on you. If you're speaking to our audience of young, young men and women, but I would like for you to take a moment and just speak to your experience as a young man. What is it something that, what is something that young men now in America can reach out and do to effectuate this change that you just described, this revolutionary change that must occur for us to survive? Well, first off, in your 20s, I think you have to go out and get as many experiences throughout the world. Don't lock yourself into any one thing in the 20s. This is what I tell people. Now, I realize today my daughter went to West Point and, and served in the 101st and, 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 uh, and other units in, when she was deployed to Iraq and other places. I understand with the woke military, it's very different today. However, you can't, particularly if you're a young man, you cannot ever take away that military experience in your 20s. I, I, I tell people all the time, I, I've had the opportunity to meet the powerful and wealthy throughout the world in the United States. I don't meet one wealthy guy in the United States 
when I've talked to him that's in the 50s or 60s, doesn't say, hey, I wish I had actually gone into the service or done something along that lines. Uh, and I understand today in the woke nature of it, it's very, very difficult. For those in their 20s, get as many experiences in as many places of the world, in as many different situations, get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone and learn about yourself. You're only going to find out about who you really are in those situations. And what you're going to find out most important is how what I call fall back on yourself. Remember, in life, the house is seven to five against all the time. Everything's a struggle. And you're going to lose a lot more than you're going to win. But you got to learn how to build off, how to mitigate how bad the losses are, number one. And number two, how to build and learn. When you say wisdom, that's where it comes from. It comes from just doing enough things and understanding it's not all going to be perfect. It's not going to work out to be perfect. Wellington used to tell his young officers, and Wellington was probably the guy that trained officers the best, young men the best. And this is why he was so revered in the British Army. When he was in Spain fighting the peninsula and Portugal fighting the peninsula war for many, many years against Napoleon, it was, you know, it's a very rolling mountainous. And he would sit there and call young officers to the front to ride up at the front with him and say, I want you to tell me what's on the other side of the hill. And he would force them to think. They would say, what are you talking about? No, tell me exactly what the topography is. I want you to tell me the thing. And he forced them to think. And that's one thing I keep telling young people when we train them. Think what's over the other side of the hill. Take whatever endeavor you're doing and take time every day to think what is downrange. What's the next 30 days? What's the next 60 days? What's the next 90? What's the next six months? What is on the other side of the hill? And train yourself for that. So I think in the 20s is that. When you get past that, I think whatever your profession is, if you're a patriot, remember, people tell me all the time, hey, if I was in the revolution, you know, I'd be at Saratoga, I would be at Yorktown, I'd be at Valley Forge. If I was in the Civil War, I'd be at Gettysburg, I'd be at Cemetery Ridge. If I was in, you know, in World War II, I'd be at Guadalcanal or at Normandy. I said, hey, this is exactly what that is. It's different. It's not kinetic, and we never wanted to go kinetic, and it can't go kinetic. But warfare today is hybrid warfare. It's psychological, it's cyber, it's economic, information. And that's what the business we're in is in the information business. That, that information can be weaponized like everything else. No matter what your profession is, you have to give part of your being, part of your spirit, part of what you are, not your money. You don't need to write checks. What you need to do is commit. Once you commit, once you commit, you're going to find that, you know, it's a famous saying. Once you commit, you're going to find books that are there, podcasts, people, a joint organization. I'll have so many more experiences and so, so much more camaraderie and I'll meet people. Just commit on something in the Patriot cause, whatever it is and whatever skill set you bring, and you're going to change things, whether that's going to a school board, whether it's becoming an election poll worker, whether it's helping at a more senior level than that, whether whatever skill you have, whatever aspect you can put to the Patriot cause, it's what's going to change things. This is it's the reason they hate Trump and the reason they're trying to destroy people, leaders, whether it's Tina Peters in Colorado or, you know, uh, O'Keefe at Veritas, you know, with the FBI kicking down the doors. They're trying to intimidate people to say, this is what's going to happen. You're going to step forward. But what they really fear is this populist uprising. They've never had this before. They've never had people that are spending time on your podcast and listening to Jack Posobiec and, and doing all these other, if you go to these podcasts and the information on these sites, it's so amazing, whether it's about the virus or the mask or finance or what's going on in the Ukraine. They've never had to deal with this before. And they have an engaged population and they have an enraged population and they don't know what to do. And they're very heavy handed to how they work right now. That's what you're seeing. I call this the last gas. When you do this FBI raid 
in Mar-a-Lago, that's not a flex of strength. That's a plea of desperation that, hey, we've got to be able to shut this guy down and politically stop him because he's more powerful than ever. And he gets more powerful every day because people are responding to that. Even people that don't like him and don't admire him, but understand he's an instrument, right? He's an instrument they cannot stop. And that instrument right now is what we need at the forefront of this country. And so, no, I just tell everybody, you got it. You got to commit. You got to protect. Once you commit, your life is going to change and you're going to see, and it's about action. You've got to become a force multiplier and first off, pushing out all the content, stuff like yours and War Room and others, push it all out. It doesn't cost you any money, but become a force multiplier and then get involved at some level, get involved with some group. And it doesn't care. That could be anything from being a precinct committeeman in the Republican Party, coming in higher at a higher level, running for office, helping somebody run for office, or just changing your community. And we do that. We're going to win this. No, there's no doubt we're going to win. You're saying you said in your previous answer, and I've heard that you tell reporters this before, liken my generation to Russian serfs. And I would tend to agree with you. It is extraordinarily hard to buy property or homes, houses, to get into the stock market or to have anything of real value. You're just on, by the way, what they do is they give you enough credit. You're just, you're just a hamster on the wheel. You know, the, was it called samsara in, in, in the Hindu term, Vedanta? You're just, you're, the wheel, you're, just, you're just nothing but a hamster. You're barely keeping up. You, you got enough to pay the credit card and, and live a, a great temporal lifestyle. But you don't have any ability to really benefit into the system. You don't have the ability to, to buy a home, to get a, a real asset, to really have any kind of equity ownership in any stocks. You know, everybody wants to be, this is why everybody's got a side gig. They want to be an entrepreneur because they hope to hit the lottery. Because they understand whatever career they're looking at, there's no way really to, to, to accumulate anything near what your parents had, anything near what your parents had. And anything that you're going to get is going to be handed down to you from the other generations before you. But even that, think about it, 0.5% control 90% of the assets. So even all the people have been here for generations, it's not like you own, a, it's not like you, we have a big ownership in the enterprise. Remember, citizenship comes with tremendous responsibilities. Number one, to serve your country, to defend your country. There's all types of responsibilities, but there's also got to be all types of benefits. If, you, if you're an American citizen, you should get a special deal right now that the thing's upside down. If you're an American citizen, you get the worst deal in the world. In fact, you, you carry the rest of the apparatus. It's your blood and treasure that goes all over to support the global empire of the elites of America, right? Are you, is your family getting a special de- deal in the Middle East? Are you getting anything in the South China Sea? Are you getting anything up in the Ukraine? No, but you're called, this is the blood and treasure. American, the American middle class, essentially their taxes have gone to underwrite this, but also their pension funds have also got to under, underwrite. That's the Greek tragedy part of this. Your sweat and brow, what you actually accumulated is actually going to uh, underwrite an apparatus that took away all the high value added manufacturing jobs for your kids and your grandkids and shipped them over to the slave labor of the poor Chinese people. And this is why wages no, never really rise here until you have, guess what? Massive inflation. That's why we're, we're, that's why wages are rising today, although real wages are not, only under Donald Trump's regime. And so you're underwriting your own demise. That's the, the anger of the American people is they can't quite articulate it, but they understand something's fundamentally wrong. And what's fundamentally wrong is the middle class and working class are underwriting with their money and their kids, their own demise, not their own benefit. Nobody in this country is going next level right now. Of course, when you look at it on a mass scale, 
because the elite have total control and they have this system called the Federal Reserve that just continues to print money to their benefit of which you and your children, your grandchildren have to pay all that off. It's a system that has to change. It's a system that is going to change. We, we can change the system, but you can't do it by, you know, all the bromides of the conservatives. It's, it's actually embarrassing. You know, you got to talk to people like adults. No, we're not going to have any tax cuts. Here's why you're not going to have any tax cuts. This year, we're going to have another $2 trillion of discretionary spending. That's unfinanced. It's just going to go up in debt. How can you have a tax cut when there's not enough growth in those tax cuts to even pay for anything? You can't talk about limited government. People say, I'm for smaller government, limited government. No, you're not. No, you're not. We've had Republican administrations for 30 or 40 years. All you did was grow the size of the government. You helped grow Leviathan. Now we have to go in and deconstruct the administrative state. What I mean by that, you have to take CDC apart, FDA apart. The whole thing Collins built up in this whole public health. Not that you don't need these institutions, but they need to be rejuvenated. And the way you rejuvenate them is purge. You need to hit them with a flamethrower. Okay, and all they say, oh, banners tear down the government. We're not here to tear down the government. We're here, you have a nation and you have a government. Then you have the thing called the state. We are anti-statist. We don't believe in this state apparatus that's out there that basically oversees to make sure that you don't have your freedom, that you're totally controlled, and all you're doing is paying taxes or your pension fund is to go to reinforce and pay for this. We're anti-statist. We're not anti government as far as you we're not anarchists you need a government and you need institutions but those institutions should be rejuvenated don't ask me ask the american people the polling on every institution that we have except the military and that's starting to get there is in what the high single digits or the low teens these institutions must be rejuvenated by your generation rebuilt repurposed that's where the fourth turning is all about to repurpose them and to refocus them. Some of them will go away. Some new ones will be created. Some of the old ones will be rejuvenated. First off, let's talk about the FBI and the DOJ. The FBI has a honored history, a revered history, particularly its fight against anti-communism in this country. And if you get the real story, you'll see that the job they did was absolutely amazing. Now, let's be honest. You know, ever since Louis Free got there and they started getting politically correct in the 90s, they totally blew 9-11. Let's just talk facts. They totally blew 9-11. Ever since then, it's been an unmitigated disaster. And now they are a form of the Gestapo. They've been totally weaponized in the, in the service of a totally corrupt Justice Department. They hate when I say that, but listen, the FBI is going to be defunded. And this is, they said, well, you know, Mike Pence, oh, oh, no, you're, we're law and order. You clown. Of course we're law and order. They're a police state. That's the opposite of law and order. They're a police state, part of a police state, and we're going to take that apart. We're going to cut it, choke it down in appropriations, and then we're going to go after them on investigations. This is why I say we're going to investigate, we're going to litigate, and then we're going to incarcerate. And this is what people say, well, he's so, this talk is so hot. Show me another alternative. Things on the margin aren't going to make, the country's not going to make it financially. The country's not going to make it economically. The country's not going to make it culturally. You have to have tough measures for tough times. And by the way, if we are fortunate enough with God's blessing to win, we then must execute to prove to the people, particularly people who are just coming to this, like the 50% of Hispanic Americans, the African American males, the Asian Americans that are going to back us. We have to prove worthy of their support and their vote. 
let's say you're walking down the street and you see Paul Pelosi wobbling and wandering out of a bar and he offers to give you a ride home. Would you get in his car? Let's say Hunter Biden offered to take your laptop to the repair shop. Would you let him? Of course not, because you're a smart person. So why would you let Hunter Biden's father and Paul Pelosi's wife, Nancy and Joe, run your bank account? Of course you wouldn't. Why are you trusting these people to manage your money? They are doing a horrific job of it, and you can see the signs of that all around the country. Inflation is going insane. Inflation is real. The real CPI is at another 40-year high. The recession is real. They're lying to you. There is a recession, and if your money is tied up in the U.S. dollar, then you are messing with fire. You are getting inside of that passenger seat with Paul Pelosi at the wheel slurring his words. It's critical for you to take a hard look right now at your family's value, income, and savings and say, wait a second, it's time to diversify. Gold and silver is what I suggest through my friends at Birch Gold. Text Benny to 989898 to get a free information kit on how to diversify your savings with precious metals. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and countless five-star reviews. I myself have used Birch Gold and I now have some of my savings diversified into actual, literal, physical gold that I can hold in my hand and it is a wonderful feeling, ladies and gentlemen. Text Benny to 989898 to get a Birch Gold Info Kit today and start learning about real value. What is the most important attribute for a young man who we are currently under attack? There is attack on young men day and night. Testosterone, they're coming after it, man. Yes. The American male, they are trying to grind down the American male into powder. What is the most important, as a successful young man, as a young man who clearly followed your own advice as it pertains to going out and finding and making yourself hard, making yourself a person who can fall back on yourself, as you said, what is the most important attribute that young men today are missing in their upbringing and that society and culture is trying to grind down in them that they must have for this fight that you were talking about against the administrative state and the Leviathan? It's a great question. You know, masculinity is one of the first things they come after and trying to destroy the family. The Bolsheviks did this and part of the French Revolution did it. Uh, and obviously, the Chinese Communist Party did it. Um, the most important aspect or, or virtue you can have and that you should focus on immediately is courage. And as they say, courage is the virtue on what everything else rests. And what I mean by courage, um, physical courage is obviously something you have to work on because it's quite easy in certain situations become quite fearful and have immediate reactions. So physical courage is one, but as importantly or more importantly is moral or kind of ethical courage to say, look, I understand that this path could lead to my destruction, but I have to do this. I have to commit. And I don't care if it does destroy me that what I'm working for and what I'm fighting for and what I believe in is at another order. And yes, when I pass this more, I'm only here for a certain period of time. And when I pass this, I want to be able in those closing seconds of my life to say, I left it all on the field. And I think that's the number one thing is what I call in life, a uh, competitive heart, right? In, 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 uh, in dog fighting, it came, it's a, this term called gameness uh, came out of dog fighting and it was about the heart and the fighting spirit of these animals, right? You have to have gameness and gameness incorporates courage, also fighting spirit, tenacity, grit, and focus. You have gameness you're going to go forward. And you can teach yourself that. You can do it. First off, you can use historical examples. That's why I say continue to read biographies of great men. 
always read biographies of great men. Remember what the what the uh, what the Greeks and the Romans taught themselves off of things like Plutarch, the lives of the noble Romans and Greeks, and they were always examples. And they were taught to the young people of how to compare and contrast. I think uh, Lincoln, as brilliant as he was with his edu- his rudimentary education, I think he had the King James version of the Bible. He had the plays and sonnets of Shakespeare, and he had Plutarch's lives of the noble Romans and Greeks. That's how he basically taught himself. So you can teach yourself. You can learn this, and then you can watch by example. The other thing is to associate with people that you admire. Just don't hang out. You got it. The purpose of your life, you have to understand. In the world, I think scientists have come up, there's been roughly 100 billion people or 115 billion people. You have to ask yourself every day. Why did divine providence put me here and put me now in this time and place? Hmm. Why wasn't I born in another time that was more peaceful in America? And remember, like Ecclesiastes, countries and, and, and times go through, you know, go through changes. I would love to be here and think that we're just all going to be sunlit uplands. It's not. We're in a fight for our country's survival. Okay? Think about it for a second. Of every time and place you could have been born all over the world in mankind's history, you were born here and now. Divine providence had a reason for that. You have your search, your hero's journey is to find what that reason was and then to commence your own journey. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be, you know, all sunlit uplands. It's going to be tough and you're going to fail many more times than you succeed. Right. But you have to understand that it's a process. It's a process. And in that process, I have to learn as much as possible. And the most important thing I got to learn is about myself. I have to find out about myself. I have to know myself. And in knowing myself, I then are able to then understand my dharma, my duty, my obligation, my purpose here in life. And then that's the hero's journey. And in the last seconds of your life, if you do that, you're going to be able to understand that, hey, I left it all on the field. There's no regrets. There's nothing I didn't do. There's nothing I could have done better. Boom. If you make that the absolute target of your life, you're going to find out that your whole attitude is going to change. You're going to become much more uplifted and much more, no matter how tough things are, you're going to say, Hey, I can get through this. I can see how I can do this. I can push on. And to me, that's the, if young men, and they don't teach that today, you know, they, in fact, they teach the opposite. They want you to be more emotional and more and, yes. and, and, and more sappy. Don't become harder. The harder you are, the better man you're going to be and the better you can be for your community, the better you can be for your family. Uh, etc. So um, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. You've talked about your Catholic upbringing in this interview. You just quoted Ecclesiastes. How much of the battle is spiritual in the wars that we are facing today in this nation? Ninety-nine percent. It's a spiritual war when it gets down to it. Look at look at the look at the d- demonic forces. And look, I'm not particularly churchy, and I've I've prided myself from a very early age of trying to understand all the great religions, or at least the core tenets of all the great religions, and talking to people who were real practitioners in those religions. Um, it's, uh, it's a spiritual war. There's obviously a spiritual war. You can see the forces of light and the forces of darkness. You can see that every day. You say, don't take it from Steve Bannon. Don't take it from Benny Johnson. There, there, there's a, a, a famous, and I quote him all the time, PG, I think it is, P-E-G-U-E. He was a, a young poet in France that volunteered for the French army in World War I and was killed very early on in Verdun, the first big battle that stopped the Germans from getting to Paris. He died in Verdun, I think by a sniper's bullet. But he had something that said it was very powerful. He said, the most important thing in life is not to report back what you see. The most important thing in your life is to see 
what you see. And that's what I tell everybody. Take the blinders off. See exactly what reality is. See it in your own lived experience. Don't listen to Benny Johnson. Don't listen to Steve Bannon. Don't listen to Tucker Carlson or anything like that. See it for yourself. Look at your own lived experience. And in that lived experience, see what reality is. And then you, you think about it. And I think you will come to the conclusion that we're in a great time of spiritual warfare. And it's the forces of good and the forces of, the forces of evil. And this country has always been a, it's the new Jerusalem, right? It was, it was put together by a collection of individuals that allowed people, the, the, really the refuge of the world to become, to, to, to reach their better selves, right? That is, that vessel is that we have a moral obligation. It's been passed down for what, 12 or 13 generations on every battlefield in the world. And with not just that, if you travel this country and see the effort that went into build this country, the hard labor of your ancestors of two or three generations back, which would be, none of us could, it'd be insurmountable today. The difficulty they had and the toughness they were and what they bequeathed us. That's what, that's what this is about is how do we pass that on to future generations? And like Burke's dictum, it's not that we have an obligation to the future. We have an obligation to all 12 or 13 of those generations. You have a direct obligation to your family that got you here and what they sacrificed to do it. And once you embody that, you'll understand the stakes couldn't be higher. It's really, look, I work 18 hours a day, seven days a week, and I would love to work a couple more. I'm energized every day, much more even in my professional career, because I see the stakes of this thing. I see the stakes of it. And that's what about commitment is. Once you commit you're going you're gonna to have a whole burst of energy that's going to really take you next level. What is the chief motivating factor that drives you to 22 hours live a week and War Room is live on, in times when no one else would be live? What is the chief motivating factor? And two-part question, how can a young person find that motivation? Because what I hear so much, Stephen, talking with young men is, I'm not, yo, I'm not motivated. I'm on a dating app. Sex is easy. Like the things that used to motivate men are, is, are easy now, right? Like getting drunk, like uh, get, getting drugs, whatever they're into, right? Things have been made easy and they've been made slothful. And there seems to be a lack of motivation. And you talk about courage. That's, that's on you, purpose. By the way, that's on purpose. They've allowed mm -hmm. the animal instincts to have readily to be uh, immediate gratification. Don't think that's just random. And it's not a conspiracy. There's no mm -hmm. coincidences though. That ability to satisfy your animal basic basic instrument. Hey, trust me, there have been times in my life with you know um, uh, alcohol and dating and hanging with the guys. It's fantastic. But all I say is go back to your lived experience. See what you see. Just take an inventory yourself. Is it true happiness? Do you find yourself motivated? Is that something that excites you continually? Not that it doesn't for a weekend or something like that. What what is your purpose? Some people are going to come to the conclusion, that's what I want. That's a hedonist. That's fine. You've made that decision. At some point in time, I believe you'll be weighed and measured, and you'll have to answer for that. If that's what you want to answer, that, hey, I, I live for all these uh, you know, temporal things, ephemeral things, the alcohol, the drugs, the hanging out, the watching, the playing the video games, the watching. You know, Now it's all watching the Viking movie, and you know, I'm, I'm a Viking. I'm a pagan. Let me watch some more movies about pagans and Vikings. It's all bullshit right? But that's fine. But go do that. Okay. That's why, you know, go to St. Paul. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child. I was a child. But when I'm a man, certain things change. And that's what mm. you remember. Mm. 
at the end of the day, you came in here this life with nothing and you're going to leave with nothing. And you're going to have to answer for that. And you're going to have to answer for this blessing that you had in this, in this, in this short period of temporal time, you're going to be held accountable and you're going to be weighed and measured. Now, some people don't think so. That's fine. That's my belief. And you're going to have to account for what you did. And that's what I'm saying. Go back and ask of the hundred billion people that on this earth. And if you know, with the, some of the horrible poverty and wars and disease, you're here in this time and place in this temporal time for a short period of time. And yes, you could go spend your time chasing women. You go drugs, uh, the, the sports app, the watching the football nonstop. You could do all that. And you're going to wake up one day and realize I completely wasted decades and decades and decades of my life. I'm nothing more than a man child. I'm not a man. You're going to have to ask yes. yourself, what is it? You're going to have to, Benny Johnson can't do it for you. Steve Bannon, Jack Posobiec, Charlie Kirk, your girlfriend, your parents can't do it for you. The hero's journey is about the hero. Are you the hero of your own life? Or are you just some schmendrick and slob? If you're not the hero of your own journey, ask yourself, why am I not? If you can't look in the mirror and say, you know what? I admire the guy I look at. I, I want to hang out with the guy I'm looking at, right? I want to be that guy. If you can't look in that mirror and answer that, then guess what? You're not doing it right. The hero's journey is you. This is you as the protagonist of your life. That means the driver of action. Right now, what they, the way the system's set up is you don't not the driver of action. You're just a passive recipient of, of hedonistic pleasure. Hey, there's a part, there's a part for that. I'm not saying that that's totally bad, but you're passive. You're just absorbing that. You have to be the protagonist in your own movie. You have to be the protagonist and don't sit there and fantasize. And this is what I get to of guys that have not been the military guys in their twenties that didn't put themselves through it. Later on, they all want to be James Bond. They're all working for this. It's all bullshit, right? Become the protagonist in your own life. And you got to look in that mirror every morning and say, hey, I'm committed. I'm doing it. I know what I'm doing. It's not perfect, but I'm working through it. And I know I'm taking next level. I'm going next level. If you can't answer that every day of your life, you're not living. You're asleep. What you have to do is awaken. You have to see what the, you have to see what you see in your own lived experience. And you have to awaken. The, the great awakening has to come with you first because yes. The process of sleep, the process of just passive, the process of just, it's easier now it's ever been in mankind's existence. You can order in every type of food. You can bet on any type of game. You can watch pornography. To, in a few years, you're going to have robots are better than the porn stars. That's all coming. That's all coming. And if you want to just be passive and have that dumped on you because they just know that you're nothing but a simp because that's what you are, a simp, then fine, just do that. Don't be the protagonist in your life story. And at the end of the day, in your closing seconds of your existence, you're going to sit there and go, I wasted the whole fucking thing, right? So if you don't want to answer that, if you want to sit there and go, I left it all on the field, then take the field. And you take the field by being the protagonist. Don't tell Hunter Biden about the uh, robot sex uh, uh, bots because, boy, that was really, if he's watching, I'd really get him excited. robot sex bots would be running away from Hunter Biden. I don't know if they can handle him. He's he's a whole different level. We'll do that another episode. That's another, whole, that's another whole deal. I I'm trying to ask questions of the man Steve Bannon, and I 
it, I couldn't do this interview without asking you, I think the seminal question, and it's a selfish question because my answer to what motivates me, it, yes, it, you, when I was in college, it used to be sex and drugs and, and, and booze, right? But now that I've grown up, what motivates me, and I hope, gosh, I hope my two daughters don't watch this, hear that last line, but damn it, what motivates me is my kids, man. And I hold those little babies in my arms and I think about the world that you described, Steve, the, the universe that I may be leaving to them. And I feel horrible. And I get up into this studio day and night, night and day, and I fight. And I obviously watch the war room, share your clips, do as much as I can to look them in the eye someday when I'm in a nursing home and I can barely open my eyelids and say, like, I at least tried, did my best. And that family, the decision to become a father as a man, to finally man up, be done with porn, be done with free sex be, or, or pointless sex and to marry a woman and to be true to her and to raise children, ultimately raising children, right? The ultimate, the raising of my daughters. I have two little baby girls. Uh, that is the motivation that keeps me going and that, as you spoke about, gives me that unlimited wellspring of energy. And uh, I suppose you are a father yourself. You, you talked about your daughter graduating from West Point. What an amazing accomplishment, 101st. Uh, what would your advice be to young men who look at the world around them and say, fatherhood, I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine being a dad right now. Like the stock market, crypto market's crashing. My NFTs are worth nothing. You know, how could I go out and like afford a family, be a father? I think you have to, once again, I think you have to fall back on yourself and, 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 and get yourself centered first. You marry a woman and you start having kids, the obligations are enormous. Now it is, I will tell you as Benny and everybody else say, it's the greatest experience of your life. And as the kids get older, even as much pleasure and fun it is then, because you get to relive your childhood and, and, and seeing them play sports and all the things that you get coached, it gets so much better even later on as they start to take adulthood and you really have people that you share a common history with and share genealogy with and all the family traditions. You can't, you, you can't replace it. And everybody, you know, I think it was Dostoevsky or Tolstoy said, all happy families are the same and every unhappy family is unhappy in its own unique way. Hmm. So an ultimate happiness comes from the family unit. But remember, that you have to commit to, too. You have to be ready for that. It's not going to be perfect, right? You're not going to be ready to be super dead at the moment, but that all gets back to being committed to being the hero of your own story and the protagonist so that you have something to offer a, a, a woman as a partner. You have then something to offer these children and to make sure you've got the responsibility to nurture them, pass on our traditions and understand that in greater society, you have an obligation to that they actually have a cultural society, civilization and financial structure that it's not actually decimated. This yes. is why, you know, I was lucky and you know, you've got two young girls. I've had three daughters. Daughters are so much easier to raise a day than men. There's a war against young men. There has been for a while. Why? Yeah. The progressive cultural Marx has left has to break the family unit since the French Revolution, the Bolsheviks, even the Nazis to a degree but definitely the, the, the Chinese Communist Party is always to break the traditional family unit, okay? And by the way, it's to disempower the parents. This is what you're up against. Whereas the social things are easier and the passivity of, of hedonistic pleasures are easier, it's never been harder to be a parent. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. It's never been harder to be a man. Mm -hmm. It's never been harder. Your masculinity's turned against you at all times. So I didn't say it was going to be easy. It's going to be hard, but that's why you got to go back and ask yourself every day, every day, why did divine providence put me here in this time and place? I could have come in any different time, any different place. Why am I here? Why am I here now? And then you, I think that if you work through, through your own work, the work on oneself, remember the work on oneself is the most important work at all. You do that and you're going to find uh, many things will change in your life. I have a final question for you and probably a follow-up, but if someone is, if someone is looking at your story right now, and if someone is looking at this headlines of Steve Bannon today, perhaps the headlines about Steve Bannon maybe have never been super great, but right now they'd look at the headlines and they'd say, wow, Steve Bannon may go to prison. Steve Bannon found guilty. Steve Bannon's being attacked by Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. And if I open my Twitter feed, a bunch of blue check marks are saying nasty, mean things about him. It must suck to be Steve Bannon. And then they, they look on Rumble and they see your show and it has 50,000 people concurrently watching. They see you, uh, I mean, they saw you in court at 10 a.m. and then you're back on the war room live to an audience of hundreds of thousands concurrently and then millions more, you know, throughout the course of the show, right? Every day. And a young man will sit there and go, he has no fear. Do you have fear, Steve Bannon? No. Are, you, are you scared? No. And then how does a young man look at that and then go, how do I get that? This, this is, look, I'm very different today than I was in my 20s. You have to, this is about the live experience. This is about your process. This is about your journey. Like I said, it's not going to be easy. You're going to get knocked down many more times than, the, than, than, than you win, right? You're going to understand the world seven to five against, and that's just the way things are. It's a process, but you'll learn it and your courage will build up. And also your ability to sit there and go, why should, you know, I, I shouldn't fear this. There was a study done after World War II, and it was about merchant ships, merchant marine ships. And they did a study. They were trying to figure out the casualty rates after they were torpedoed by unrestricted warfare. And they found out in the crews that died, the vast majority of the people that died were young, healthy men. The people that basically survived were older sailors. And part of it was the fact that they had just had more experience. They just mm -hmm. hung on to the life rafts longer. They realized, I can get through this. Where there was just a tendency for the young, although in better shape, to not understand that, hey, I can do this and just to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. No. Right now, what I pride myself the most in is my enemies. I'm hated. You know, I'm sanctioned. I'm the only civilian in history ever sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party. She and those guys, I'm sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party. I'm hated by Nancy Pelosi and all the left. Right. I'm, I'm hated by the Pope and the guys around him in the Vatican. Uh, I'm, I'm hated by the World Economic Forum and all those guys. You can tell a man by his enemies. I am so proud of the enemies that I have. And blue check, and blue check, and blue check Twitter, they're the most irrelevant. The more they say, and I learned that from Andrew Breitbart. Remember, Andrew Breitbart at the beginning, and you remember this, Benny, he was the Donald Trump of Twitter when it first started. Yes. And, and, and I was helping at the time with Larry Soloff as his lawyer. I was kind of his financier, his investment banker, put the company together to kind of take it next level and be the Breitbart you saw today. And with the only arguments we ever had were about Twitter. And I go, because he was the king of Twitter. He was on it nonstop. And I go, Andrew, you know, they don't have to come to our blog site. We're building this new site, but they don't have to come because they get all the Andrew Breitbart they want there. And I said, you know, we don't have any stock options. We don't have a rev share. We don't own, you're giving it to him for free. And he goes, you understand, we're building 
the brand. And I go, but how do you do that when these people say the most hateful things about you I've ever seen and you retweet it, you put it out. <laughs> and he goes, you got to do this. He says, that's when you show them that, that you don't care, that you're fearless. And I think that that's what you've got to be. You got to spit in the eye of these people and say, hey, bring it. And so, look, it's not for everybody. It's not easy sometimes, but look, I could go do a lot of different things and go hang out or do whatever I wanted in the world. I have a calling to do this. And until my last fighting breath, what I'm doing is fighting for MAGA and fighting for the working class in this country to take this country back and to actually make it the country it could be for everybody in this country, okay? Not just this concentration of wealth among the wealthy with their oligarchs in Silicon Valley and media and in the, and big corporations and big pharma. No, we have to break that. And uh, I've dedicated my life to it. And like I said, every day I can look in that mirror as imperfect as it is and say, hey, we're not doing everything right, but directionally we're on the right path. And you've got to, everybody in the audience, you've got to answer that for yourself. You don't have to answer it to Steve Bannon or to, or to Tucker Carlson or to Donald Trump or anybody. You've got to answer it to yourself. Steve, you've done such a remarkable job growing this movement. You really are the 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 king of the grass. You're the Leonidas of the grassroots. You really no, are. I, no, everyone no, no, sees no. it. It's, no, no. It's, you are the full. It's, it's very, you're the full very, hero of. It's, it's very of this. It's very nice of you to say that, but it's it's you got so many heroes out there, and of course Trump. Look, the thing with Trump, he was a billionaire. Think of how easy his life would be. He, you talk about me being part of the system. He was in Manhattan. He was buying at that stage of life with a beautiful wife, great kids, a lovely family, and really revered by people. He was then at that part of his life to go buy championship golf courses like Turnberry and become part of the Open Championship Rota, or to buy courses like Doral or start to buy other courses here to become a part of the, like Bedminster was at the PGA Championship, become into the major tournament you know, cycle. That's was how he was going to live his life. He totally threw that. People say he's a narcissist. Nobody would do this. It's irrational. He walked away from all that. Today, what? He's got 20 different lawsuits coming in, criminal lawsuits. They attack him. They destroy him. They try to destroy his family, his wealth, his company, and make sure that he's an example that they turn into a pillar of salt. He, th this is why his leadership is just unbelievable. And he's an imperfect instrument. He's not perfect. Like I'm not, like you're not, uh, Benny. But he's dedicated to this. I, I, I love the fact that I've been able to take the skill set that I've learned through education experience and provide a platform, right? That people can now get motivated. And remember, our show is not just for passive listeners. Our whole thing is you've got to get engaged. I don't care what level. This is a populist movement and they fear that more than anything. I don't care if it's working on a campaign, being a precinct committeeman, being going to a school board committee, whatever you do, you can take those, uh, those talents, that divine providence gave you and put them to work. And that's what the platform is. And that's why I think the platform's been pretty successful so, so far. I believe as long as we have you and what you represent in every citizen out there that gets access to this information, starts to put that into the core of the being, we're, we're certainly going to win. There's no doubt about it, but it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to take as many years to do this. And people have to realize that uh, they're going to have to really have an entirely new commitment to what they do in their civic life. And it, it, you're a perfect example. This is why, Benny, I do the show, and this is the perfect example. Congratulations on everything, and just keep fighting. You're terrific. Thank you, Steve, for what you are doing. It is uh, an incredible service. I think you'll be in the in the uh, in Cooperstown. You'll have your jersey in the rafters yeah. with all the yeah. other Patriots, and it'll be incredible yeah. to see.
Thank you. Very kind words. Right. Thank you very much. God bless you, Steve. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been our conversation with Steve Bannon. We're trying as hard as we could to respect Steve's time. He's already been live for multiple hours today. He did an hour live with us, and we say thank you. We say God bless you, and we hope that you were inspired tonight by the most important uh, conversation we could possibly have right now, which is a conversation to save this nation and to return this nation to what it was founded on. You heard Steve talk about it more eloquently there than we ever possibly could dream of. And we say thank you to Steve Bannon. Thank you all for watching. God bless all of you. Have an amazing evening. My name is Benny Johnson. This is The Benny Show.